It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211 Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. You're very welcome to Late Lunch. Hope you had a lovely bank holiday weekend. Wasn't yesterday a bummer? It really was. Saturday, Sunday was beautiful, to be honest with you. But yesterday, what could you do but tucked down indoors. Anyway, it was an extra day off. I enjoyed it immensely, I have to say. Delighted to be back with you on this short week. Welcome to the show. Lots of chat over the next couple of hours, as is my want on the first late lunch of every month. I read you the little saying from the Divine Word Missionaries calendar. It says for the month of May, life and time are the world's two teachers. Life teaches us to make good use of time, while time teaches us to value life. That's your little saying for the month. Carry it with you through the month and be on. We begin this Tuesday, as has been a one for 14 months now, it has to be. Yes, he is the head of the Department of Biology, director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University, Professor Paul Miner. Hello again. Hi, Jerry. Thank you for joining me. Good news, Paul. We have to say the vaccine rollout going well and really is appearing to ramp up over the coming days and weeks. Yeah, it is ramping up. Uh, there's some discussion at the moment in terms of the registration actually been opened this week to the over 50s. Um, some discussion in terms of how the various vaccines are going to be used because, as you know, the AstraZeneca and the Johnson Johnson has been recommended for the over 50s and 60s. Um, but the slight concern there is the Johnson Johnson, most of them won't be in until June. So there's a discussion at the moment and we're sort of awaiting clarification in terms of... Uh, are we going to break with that stratification structure around the age and maybe have a number of parallel age groups being uh, vaccinated at the same time? So it'll be interesting. But as you say, Jerry, good news. It's certainly ramping up. And there is that figure that the sort of the milestone that is always given by the end of May to have what is it, 82% of the adult population vaccinated. And the really good news is if you begin to look at countries like Israel, where over 60% of the people are fully vaccinated. Yesterday they had 12 cases, 0.1% uh, positivity rate in testing. So that really shows you how vaccination works. So they have double error population. So if you put that back to maybe a handful of cases and no deaths and really low positivity rate, that's, I think, hopefully we can look forward to. So it's really important that we get this uh, vaccine rollout as planned. Now, there are black spots, Donegal being one of them. Real concern uh, about the North West. It was other counties in the past, Offaly, Kildare, we remember, 
What, what's the best way, in your view, to handle this? Is localised or are localised lockdowns a possibility in the future? Or would you stray away from that altogether? I think, Jerry, we're talking probably of such a, a fairly acute time frame now that we're hoping that within the next couple of months we'll have most people vaccinated. And I, see, mm. I think then we're going to see very significant effects in terms of numbers uh, coming down. We did go down the regional lockdown route previously, you know, when lockdown, leash off, leash uh, till there. Not too sure whether that worked or not. Um, and the other thing is the regions are so, so small and that, you know, one or two super spreading events, suddenly, you know, a region could be quite a hot spot. I myself think it'd be better if there is a hot spot to go in there, investigate the cases, maybe have these pop-up, you know, testing centres and try to control it like that rather than close down uh, regional areas. So I think if there is a problem, go in there try to identify where the source is and use all the resources you have, especially around testing and tracing, to try to get that under control. Is it fair to say that, you know, with the relaxation, and people who have been vaccinated are are encouraged now to meet up, but there still remains this issue of us not going mad altogether. You know, with this release coming and people feeling positive and brighter days ahead, there is still the whole issue of being careful. Yeah, I think there is caution. Caution has been advised until at least we can get most people vaccinated. So I think the emphasis being around uh, a cautionary approach is based on giving us enough time to vaccinate as many people as possible. I still think there would probably still be some caution even at that time. But I think at some stage we need to move to a situation to accept that vaccination does give us uh, protection. And I think it is reassuring to begin to see where people who are vaccinated, they are being encouraged to interact with each other again, okay, especially outdoors, but even indoors where, you know, a couple of households can now interact if both have been uh, vaccinated. And I th- especially for our older uh, population, I think that's a really, really good thing. And I think the vaccination, vaccination leaves us in a good place where we can begin to do those things again. India's horrendous, Paul. Uh, we spoke about it here last week on the show with the Ireland-India people and just what you're, we're seeing and hearing is awful, awful. And it's a warning, isn't it, to all that, you know, this problem is worldwide and will have to be addressed everywhere before, you know, we can all feel safe. Yeah, well, one of the things that tells me, Jerry, is that it's really very difficult to control this virus. And mm. you know, sometimes people come up with suggestions in terms of how it can be controlled, and it's, it's really very, very difficult. If you look at India, like a number of months ago, we'd have been saying India has handled this really, really well. Mm. It, seemed, it seemed like their death rate was, uh, the mortality rate was very, very low. And it's sort of been used as an example in terms of you know how a country could deal well with the virus. And now a number of months later, we're looking at these sort of horrendous, like these really scary numbers. Part of it's got to do with the fact that India, the population of India is 1.3 billion. So some of these numbers are going to be really, really high. But, you know, there's probably mass gatherings, uh, probably not as much immunity in the population as as we had thought. Some of these variants, whether it's due to the variants or not, I'm not so sure. I think a number of the variants are increasing there just on the back of the transmission overall of the virus being higher. But it certainly does strike a cautionary notion that very quickly the virus can get out of control and can be very difficult to control once we lose that uh, 
that control over it. It certainly can, which brings me to a question that a lot of people are thinking about at the moment, and there's really no clear path on it. Travel, travel abroad. There's talk that from late summer, perhaps autumn, that might happen. The EU are talking about this passport that you'll have if you're vaccinated, etc. What's your opinion? What do you feel about this? I think probably towards the end of the summer, Jerry, personally, I wouldn't be surprised if some travel was allowed, non-essential travel was allowed. As you said, the EU have have indicated this system, this passport-type system, then it's up to each individual EU state in terms of how it is interpreted, how it is uh, applied. I think it'll probably be difficult for countries not to at least uh, implement some part of that. So my, my own uh, view of that is that if we get to a situation where most people are vaccinated and vaccination does protect us, that by if people are coming back, having been away on holidays or whatever, coming back into the country, if they've been vaccinated, if they've been previously infected or recently infected by the virus and shown to have antibodies, or potentially, you know, children, for example, as part of family holidays, that poses a problem because children won't have been vaccinated. But in those cases, the EU would propose that maybe if they had a clear PCR test, just as an example. So I think that's probably the way that we're moving. And I think at some stage we need to begin to look at uh, travel again. I can understand for the time being, especially in terms of we're trying to limit the import of new variants, especially. I can understand for a short time why we're doing that. Again, to give the vaccination programme a chance to protect us and to limit the import of vaccines. But it's going to be very difficult to do that on a prolonged basis. These variants are going to stay, they're going to be here for a long time indefinitely. So at some stage, we're going to have to work out a system that protects us and allows us to begin to interact with the rest of the world, but in a cautious and a safe way. And I think, Paul, you know, we, we know what could be involved coming back from a, from a trip abroad, non-essential. But the other thing is the destinations are, are, are a big factor here, too. How is it in the likes of Italy and Spain and uh, all the holiday resorts that are very popular in Europe? That's surely something that people have to consider on a personal basis as well. The risk in going there. Yeah, so there's the risk there's in terms of the regulations, what regulations are in place in your country of destination. To be honest, we're probably one of the most strict, actually, in Europe. So uh, most other countries will be probably not quite as strict as we've been. So I think especially travelling in Europe, most of the consideration will be in terms of what do you need to do on your return. So, for example, if you, have to be, if you haven't been vaccinated, are you going to have to quarantine for two weeks or self-isolate for two weeks? So what are the rules and regulations around that? So you're absolutely right, Jerry. Two things have to be considered in terms of what applies to your country destination and then what what's going to apply in order for you to get back into the country. Just looking at the uh, timelines, uh, today all construction reopens. It's another move forward. But really, Paul, it's next Monday, the 10th of May, where the significant reopening is about to happen. You know, a lot happening across the board in society. God, it's great to contemplate a day like this. I think it is, yeah, full of, full of hope. Like next year, next week, obviously, we begin your know, intercounty travel. People can travel to relatives maybe they haven't seen in many, many months. And I think it's something and it's hope and positivity that the country uh, needed. Um, and I think as we begin to, you know, enter the summer months now, on back of the vaccination programme as we head into those summer months, I think there's many reasons to be to be hopeful. And um, I think people need it at this stage, Jerry, it's been a long time. You mentioned like 14 months at this stage like a stamina test for most people and I think they just need some hope and positivity and see a way and sort of that there is a route and a journey now 
as we begin to try to map a way back to some form of normality. Just a couple of questions from listeners before you go. On the AstraZeneca, would Paul know, are both doses of similar strength or the second one stronger than the first? Yeah, so the uh, both are, are similar. They're sort of the same dose. So in the trial, actually, the trial ended up two different... So there were two different trials. One used a half-dose, full-dose, full-dose, full-dose. So it's full-dose, full-dose is the one that's been used. That's the one that was approved by the regulators. And another one, there are all, there's a couple of them in there. Has Paul himself been vaccinined? Uh, you see, it's the big concern of your of your, of your your local fan club here in the week, County. They want to know, are you protected? <laughs> no, uh, so I haven't been vaccinated yet, so I'm hoping to register uh, this week. So, uh, yeah, but I haven't been vaccinated as of yet. But certainly, I'll be happy to take whatever vaccine I'm offered. I'll certainly be happy to take whatever one I'm offered, Jerry. Absolutely. Paul, look, you're great. I appreciate you joining me. And next week, uh, will be a momentous week, as I say, with the Monday. We'll chat again then on the Tuesday, Paul. Thank you so much for joining me. You're more than welcome, Jerry. Anytime. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Professor Paul Moynihan there, Head of the Department of Biology, Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Minute University. Uh, another message just coming to me there from Fiona Hannerty in Rome. I say hello to Fiona this afternoon. Delighted to hear you're tuned in to us. Uh, Jerry Fiona says, the thing is, once vaccinated, you can still be a carrier of the virus and as such can transmit to others. I have my second Pfizer vaccine on the 11th of May, so from the 25th of May, should I come into contact with the virus, I shouldn't end up in hospital or worse but I still wouldn't like to give it to anyone so at the most I'll only be able to go out and socialise in an outdoor setting uh, infrequently so as to be 100% sure I don't give it to anyone if I'm lucky I'll get home for Christmas hoping and praying ah Fiona you will you'll get home for Christmas you will please God you will and they'll all be thrilled to see you here thank you for that lovely message this afternoon in the sky on land underwater there's no way you can escape this man I mentioned him moment ago. Do you remember a few years ago in the real dry summer, Anthony Murphy flew the drone up around Newgrange? Well, the rest is history, but what was discovered back then was simply amazing. Well, he's at it again, and this time it's underwater, on the River Boyne, from Mythical Ireland. Anthony Murphy, hello again. Hello, Jerry. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining me on the show. It wasn't... um your man, uh, the dolphin that attracted you to the river, was it initially before you found this stuff? Actually, that's part of the story. Yeah, I had a, I got a new drone uh, two weekends ago and uh, was testing it out in various locations. And on the Sunday, sort of took it in my head to go down to the Boyne and see just on the off chance, you know, that I might get a bit of aerial footage or photographs of the dolphin. Mm. Well, I didn't. I didn't find the dolphin, but I found something else. <laughs> <laughs> you found a log boat. Now there was a log boat. Uh, it's in my mind. Was found in the Boyne some years ago. Well, quite a number of these have was actually there? been yeah. found. Okay. According to yeah. National Monument Service, um, I think a dozen log boats have been found in the Boyne River in the past couple of centuries. Probably the most best-known example was discovered by a group of anglers up near the Cable Bridge there at Oldbridge uh, in 2016. That was later dated by the Dendro- or not the by the carbon dating uh, department of Queen's University in Belfast and found to be Neolithic in date. So 5,000 years old, which is incredible when you think about it. Um, And uh, so this wouldn't be the first and certainly won't be the last uh, Hmm. to be found uh, in in the bed of the Boyne. And where did you come across yours? And what are you talking about? Are you talking about similar age to the one you mentioned just a a moment ago there? Well, I've been speaking to... uh, 
an expert on Irish dugout boats. The official terminology is dugout boats, but you and I would refer to them as log boats. Mm. Um, says that they're notoriously difficult to date. And in fact, the craft were similar in design from the Neolithic right through to medieval times. Um, the first one that I found, the one that we're referring to, um, is between the townlands of Mel and Rathmullen would basically be between the two public parks there. If you walk along the river at Mel or uh, at the ramparts, uh, it would be out there between those two walkways. Um, He reckons that it is um, medieval in date. So (laughs) unfortunately, even that can't be narrowed down without further sort of dating techniques sometime between 400 AD and around 1650 AD. Mm, amazing. Really, really old and preserved, you know, in a, in a form that's amazing after all of these years. Did the... We haven't had a lot of rain up until yesterday, the bank holiday, wouldn't it be typical? It would deluge us. But did the low water conditions, you know, with little rain help? Well, there are, yeah, there's... It has to be said that there are a few things that are sort of acting in favour of these fines. By the way, I should clarify that this is not my discovery. Mm. National Monument Service is now saying that that first boat uh, was in fact reported to them back in 2020. I've sa- I found two more since. Yeah. The low the low water, of course, at this time of year, it just so happened that the, 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 the Monday when I found it, uh, was the day, the night of the full moon. So the full moon means higher full tides and lower low tides, yes. as it were. The water is particularly low. Another thing that people forget is that the river is a lot less polluted now mm. than it was 20 years ago. Jerry, you and I will remember mm. the days when raw sewage used to be pumped into Shocking. the Boyne River and Shocking. it used to be a brown, cloudy mess. Mm. The river is excessively clear. And of course, the other thing is the drone technology, which enables us a top-down view. And perhaps it is a case that when you're walking along the river, in fact, it is a case that when you're walking along the river, uh, unless these things are exposed, uh, if they're even slightly underwater it's very difficult to see them from an oblique angle it's far yes. easier to see them from vert- vertically from top down as it were you know so this is a new one you've picked up the one one of these you've been looking at is new uh, I, I, I'm not entirely sure uh, I know that the first one uh, was previously reported yeah. National Monuments say that they are aware of quote unquote a few log boats in the bed of the Boyne I have found three and I found another couple of suspect items which will be examined uh, by an expert uh, at the earliest opportunity. The potential here is, I mean, there's three boats in a stretch of river that is less than 500 metres. Um, now, of course, that's a shallow stretch of the river. Mm. Uh, anybody who's familiar with the area uh, up there where Anglo Printers Factory is, between there and the Bridge of Peace, the river is kind of widens out and it's a very shallow area of the river where you see a lot of trees. So any trees that are blown down by winter storms further upriver get carried down by the waters of the Boyne, but they get lodged in this kind of shallow area. And uh, I'm I'm told that in the 1950s, a log boat was found uh, somewhere in the vicinity, somewhere between St. Mary's Bridge and the Boyne Viaduct. So they're not it's not it's not a rare thing to find them. What I'm excited about is the possibility that uh, if and when some of them are retrieved and dated, we could be looking at craft that were in use when Newgrange was being built, which I'm, I think is absolutely extraordinary, you know. And and the reason they're there, Anthony, you know, did they 
were they lost to the to the river? Uh, were they finished their working life? I suppose there's very little information is there around that uh, type of thing. Uh, that would be probably virtually impossible yeah. to tell. Yeah. And I mean, um, there's a few jokes going around about it that perhaps there's a fleet of them, uh, and perhaps they weren't very good mariners if their boats sank. But of course, we don't have the original builders or users of these boats to tell us their mm. stories. What I'm fascinated by, though, is the fact that the wood and apparently these are mostly made of oak the wood is actually preserved by the water of the river Mm. and when they're brought out of the river often they can deteriorate very quickly so the recovery and preservation of them is apparently a complex and expensive operation and i believe without sort of having a formal statement on it i believe that in some cases the policy is just to leave them alone for the time being until such time as that can be accommodated you know yes and god knows when you lift them when they hit the air well what that would uh, the implications that would have but that's for another day just before you leave us i saw you commenting on the awful vandalism that's been happening not once now twice at lock crew cairns have you uh, something to say to uh, anybody listening today who might have a- any hand act or part in in this well it is a sad um uh, affair Uh, Unfortunately, it seems also to be a symptom of COVID lockdowns, perhaps a combination of boredom and then accessibility to these sites uh, where there are much fewer people around than there would be normally. Um, Look, these things are very precious. What people forget is this, you know, there there are 40,000 ring forts in Ireland. They're very uh, commonplace. There aren't 40,000 passage tombs. Passage tombs, chambered cairns, we might call them, are the equivalent of Newgrange. These are smaller versions of Newgrange and Outh and Douth. They date to more than 5,000 years ago. Uh, They are uh, not just nationally precious monuments, they're globally precious monuments. They are a remnant of a far distant age of the past. It is awful. It is a shameful, awful, sad thing uh, to see them being defaced. It's bad enough if you took spray paint to them, but to actually use a stone to carve your name onto this precious megalithic art dating from more than 5,000 years ago, it really is beyond belief. It's certainly not a cool thing to be doing. Yeah. Oh, look, I say here, here, Anthony, cop yourselves on and turn your energies elsewhere. Leave the past and our history alone, please. Anthony, great to talk to you again. Take care. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for joining me, Anthony Murphy there from Mythical Ireland. We've had a number of people contact us in the mid-60s group, mid to late 60s. Catherine's been on from RD. Marie and Drogheda. Marie registered three weeks ago. Still no word. Catherine says she seems to be lost in the system. No notification yet what should they do I'd get back on to uh, if it's your GP or wherever you registered with and I just keep keep in contact with them and you have to push the button there with them yourself and go back to them and say listen what's happening where am I with this I know it's uh, frustrating it really is and uh, things happen uh, when you're administering a huge programme but if you have an individual problem you've got to get back to your GP or whoever uh, sent you the notification that you were registered that's all I can say to you uh, on that one uh, I know that was aimed at Paul Minor, but really Paul wouldn't have uh, any say or information in that particular area now we move on on late lunch today and with the withdrawal of Carphone Warehouse, uh, all the stores closed you will have heard recently in Ireland, uh, the honest broker between the mobile networks and the mobile phone people 
is gone. What's the story for the future? Well, our IT specialist is Declan Bailey from businesstechhelp.net and he's with me today on the show. Hello again, Declan. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me on Late Lunch again this afternoon. Declan, I liked going in and having the option, you know, of comparing the different networks, etc. It's gone. Uh, I know Curry's PC World are still there for the moment, but is this the way of the world? Is this where we're headed, Declan? Well, I suppose when you think of it, the model was to sell a phone on a 24-month contract, regardless of the network. It had to be in a 24-month contract simply because the network had to recoup the cost of the discounted phone. Mm. So that meant that you went in today, bought a phone, and then really weren't supposed to change it for two years. And really that model in itself is broken simply because most high-end phones will change on a 12-month basis. Now, again, people want the latest phones. Of course, not everybody does, but most people want the latest phones. So you had to hold on to a phone that going into your third year, you were almost skipping a generation or you were getting the previous generation. So it was never really going to work long term. That's interesting because I am tied into one of those contracts myself at the moment with Vodafone. So from okay. now on, uh, what should the likes of me be looking at? Well, you see, I suppose at the end of the day, you need to break it down to how you want to pay for the phone. This is what it all comes down to. So for argument's sake, let's take just an example of the new iPhone 12 entry level at €929 SIM-free. So you can buy that directly from Apple and put any SIM card into it. So that's your outlay, 929 You walk into the likes of Vodafone and they will give you the phone for €500 on a 24-month contract, but you pay them €40 a month for the 24-month contract. And what you get for that is unlimited data, but you only get 100 minutes to any network and unlimited text so 100 minutes a month, 25 minutes a week, it's really nothing these days. It's mm. absolutely nothing. It'd be gone in day one. So it's not really a model that people would say, OK, I'll take the 40 euros a month and we'll run with that. But even just taking that, that will have cost you 1,460 euros over the 24 months to get the 929 euro phone. And that's if you kept within the allowance and your bill was always 40 a month. So you really had to juggle and say, well, I have to keep to this because I don't want my bill going over that. So it's, you know, it's extremely hard to look into the future how you're going to use the device. So the easiest way is to look, what, what's the phone going to cost me? SIM free, 929. Divide that over 24 months. See what you can do on a 30-day contract. All the networks now have a 30-day SIM-only contract. And they start as little as 11 euros a month. And you get everything, all your data, all your calls and texts. So it doesn't make sense to go with a long 24-month contract. It certainly doesn't financially when you point out those figures. And I'm just here looking at them as you speak there. And Mm -hmm. I thought it was a deal. But when it transpires, it transpires now that that it's not. You're better buying the phone. See, would you know, 929 euro, Declan, you know the year I'm coming from here. And and you see, that's the whole, but that's the whole thing, Jerry. And that's how the phone companies got you involved. Hmm. Because at the end of the day, if they put what I'm after telling you in their front window against come in here and pay 40 a month and we'll give it to you for 500. When you stood there and added it up, well, it just doesn't make sense. But yeah. for you to put your hand in your pocket mm. and come up with 929 on that day as opposed to 500. And plus as well, the next level up, they would say, well, we give it to you for 250. Yes. But you have to pay 60 euros a month. Yes. Yeah, it so- is the bottom line, putting your hand in your pocket and what you're going to pay today. But they get you over the long term. 
Absolutely. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you yeah. go. And the so more... if you bite the bullet and say, OK, right, this is the way I'm going to go. You Like if you paid nine twenty nine for the phone yeah. and you got a contract for 11 a month with absolutely everything. Yeah. So 11 a month as opposed to even the lowest one with 40 and you don't get everything. It just doesn't make any sense. It's a no-brainer. It really is. So this is the way uh, the future is unfolding. Yeah, And look, you have to say, as you said yourself, Declan, people now will pay that money. They rate their phones so important in their lives for everything. So much you can do on it now. So this is interesting. So even Vodafone and 3, the providers will give you that 30-day thing. uh, They will give you that 30-day thing because at the end of the day, now they see that's only come in a few years back. Now they see that people are buying SIM-free phones because, again, if you walk into a network, you've probably got, on average, they would have maybe 50 phones in their range across different brands, different sizes. You know yourself. Mm. But you can go online now, the likes of, for argument's sake, AliExpress, and get a state-of-the-art Chinese mobile phone for in the region of three to €400. Euros. And I mean, top of the range, it has everything on it, SIM-free. Mm. So the, the network is never going to sell that phone. So people with the internet have all the options. So what the networks are trying to do is trying to get in on, well, at least we will have the customer. Yeah. So let's say Vodafone say, well, we'll give it for 35 a month. Tesco say 20 a month. So everybody wants to just get the customer and have a customer base and then see what they can sell on from there. The likes of Vodafone, which, you know, the home phone, the television, all that kind of yes. stuff. But really from a phone point of view, and stores, again, if you look at Gomo, which was an off-break of air, they launched last year with a nine ninety nine a month offer. It's not that anymore now, it's 15. But the nine ninety nine a month had no, essentially no customer service. You mm-hmm. couldn't walk into a shop. Online is the way it went. And it was hard enough to get somebody on the chat bot online. But as far as everyone was concerned, for a tenner a month, I get everything I'll put up with it. And 48 are similar, I think, as well. They're another provider. Yeah, they're 11 a month, yeah, and the exact same offering. And there's a new one out to the market, which is clear, which is basically on the Vodafone. It lives on the Vodafone network, which is 12.99 a month. Yeah. So it's very hard to turn those, those kind of monthly costs. You just have to bite the bullet and say, OK, right, I'm going to need to slash out the money on a phone. Now, again, we're talking those prices... 900 to 1,000 euros. We're talking high-end Huawei, Samsung and and, and Apple. Yeah. The rest of those other brands that you wouldn't really hear about have high-end phones for half that cost. Yeah. So your recommendation today is this is the way to go now. Bite the bullet, invest in the phone, whatever level that is you wish, and then look at these other offerings here. Uh, And when you talk about it, 10.99 a month, and if you work that out, God almighty, it's a huge saving. And look what they're giving for it as well. The data, unlimited calls and text. Really interesting. So do you see a day when there'll really be very few of the traditional shops, like we remember Carphone Warehouse, the Vodafone stores, the three stores? Yeah, I suppose when Carrefour Warehouse came in, uh, I was at Vodafone for years and they would have had the most amount of stores. Carrefour came in, everybody was afraid simply because they did three or four different networks. So you went in there and you said, what's my best deal from a network? Carrefour Warehouse didn't care what network they sold. As such, they offered them all. But that thing of retail space now, the cost of staffing, the cost of the retail unit and people wandering in, oh, there's something wrong with my phone. Uh, can you give me advice on this? They're not there for that. Like at the end of the day, stores now have staff with KPIs. So they've got monthly 
targets to meet. Mm. They're not interested in standing in the corner and solving your phone problem. They need to sell stuff. So that model in itself. And again, if you look at it, Jerry, you walk into a shop now and they mostly have accessories around the place. When you think of accessories, you couldn't get accessories before. You had to go to a phone shop. Now you can get accessories online. Yeah. You can have an accessory delivered to your house within a week. And it's half the cost of the retail store because they don't have the bricks and mortar cost. It's uh, the way of the world. And certainly this last year mm. to 14 months has certainly driven it down this road as well. So there you are. Lots of great advice there. Let's talk about Apple for a few moments. Uh, I see there's a new purple iPhone. What's the idea behind this, Declan? Just colour. That's, That's it. All. Simple. They're just doing a colour range. Simple as that. Yeah, they just added that colour because they have a new iMac range now that has the same purple colour in it. So they launched this new iMac 24-inch with their new M1 chip, and it's got seven colours. They used to just offer the iMac in one colour, silver, but now this is seven colours. It's the thinnest iMac they've ever sold, and they've just upgraded the spec throughout Mm. the whole system. So that's tied in with that, but there's a new Mac there, a new iMac uh, on the market. It it looks snazzy. It really does. It looks the part, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. Yeah, and a lot lot of... Go on. There will be a professional version of that out because everybody is looking to replace the 27-inch iMac, which has been out now for 11 years. So that new professional 27-inch size will come out probably in September, October. Mm. And uh, again, ramped up the, 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 the internal workings of it, much better improved. Yeah, much, much quicker. Their own, they have their own architecture now, so it's their own chip. So yeah, it's kind of double the speed now that they have. The same with the iPad. They've launched a new iPad Pro that has this M1 chip in it. So the speed of the actual iPad now has jumped basically 50% from the older iPad. Mm. So yeah, it's, they're going down the speed, you know, their own chip now route. I've mentioned to you before, you know, when you see the size of the iPhone and then at the other end you have the iMac and you have the iPad in there, there's still obviously a a, a big market for the iPad. Oh, God, absolutely. Like, I suppose when you think of a MacBook, so you have the laptop, they're almost trying to get away from laptops and make people move over to an iPad simply because it's just so easier to carry around with you. Mm. But there is always going to be that cohort of people that will always want an actual, you know, standalone laptop as opposed to what they would see as a tablet. But uh, yeah, it is getting, the speed is the whole thing. I would imagine in maybe five years time, a laptop will really be a thing of the past. It'll only be for people who absolutely need the space and need some kind of programming that you can't get on an iPad. But yeah, the day of the laptop is starting to go. As an aside, I see they've launched a few new emojis. Are they getting rid of any of the favourite ones or the ones that are no, not? No, no, they've known. added on a good few, yeah, bits and pieces. <laughs> yeah, the big new product is the AirTags product. That oh, yes, come product. on, talk to but me about year. that, the AirTags. Yeah, they've been working on that a couple of years now, but this thing is, it's a fantastic little product when you think of what the science behind it. But basically, uh, I think they're going to be around about 30, 35 euros for one. So it's a little... Um, the one, the likes of a two euro size, two euro coin size. And essentially you hook it up with your iPhone. So when you take it out of the box, you pull the battery tab on it and it will hook up your iPhone straight away. You give it a name. But what's behind it is, so let's say you have a backpack that you use all the time. So you would put this device in your backpack. So you head off somewhere, you leave the backpack behind you and you realize when you get home, I've left the backpack behind me. So how do you find the backpack? Like obviously someone who may be in a store has taken it, but with the air tag in it, you can actually turn on your phone and it's like the find my application with your friends and your other devices 
it will find then your backpack and locate exactly where it is. And the, the science behind it is the fact that the AirTag is live. It works off a battery that's embedded into it. The battery lasts about a year. But the science is that once it's live, once it's on, every single iPhone and iPad and MacBook and laptop, Apple device that's around it, will warrant a signal back to that AirTag that gives it the capability of telling you where it is. So it uses everybody else's device to let you know where it is in the background. Yeah. You wouldn't know. You could be standing beside the yes. lost AirTag and your phone is given that AirTag the capability of letting me know where my backpack is. So you don't know anything about it, mm. but it does that in the background. So it's, it's fascinating. Like, it's extraordinary technology when you think of it. Yeah, and uh, so valuable as well in many oh contexts. God. I know you mentioned the lost bag, but I can see there's obviously a range of applications for this. Oh, God, yeah. Even when you think of, like, look at the madness of this. I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. Your car. Yeah. So your car is stolen. If you have one of these in your car. Now, again, you'll be relying on the, the robbers to have an iPhone. But again, as I said, the amount of iPhones that are out there. Yeah. So let's say for argument's sake, somebody steals your phone and they have an, I- an iPhone with them on them. Once they have that in proximity to the actual device, you get the signal. You mm. know exactly where the car is. Mm. It'd be so, nice you know, to embed it and hide it. You know what I mean? If it was embedded exactly. and hidden in the car, yeah. and could you know just yeah. check your battery yeah. once a yeah. year. And even if, if, they, if they didn't have an iPhone and they drove the car to wherever they're going to drive it, yeah. once there is an iPhone within 30 to 50 foot, Somebody walking by the car, doesn't make any difference what it is. It will trigger the device mm. and it will let you know, here I am. Terrific. God almighty, mm. we are going yeah. places. I, I, I always yeah. uh, understand that technology develops at rapid pace, but here it is in our own hands and available. Mm. Is, that, is the AirTags uh, out at the moment? Can they be Yes, bought? you can yeah. order them now. There's a five or six week wait. Great. But you can order them now. Uh, great stuff, Declan. One last thing just before we go. I see the latest iOS 14.5 update, the yeah. anti-ad tracking. There's a little bit of controversy around this. Is it a blow for freedom uh, or a restriction on business? No, you know, I suppose everybody is looking for privacy now. And the whole thing about it is every website you go on to, everything that you open up on your phone, it's all got this, the cookies. So you're going to accept the cookies that will allow you to be tracked So Apple are just trying to give you back a bit of control. Mm. Now, what's going to happen there is people like advertisers, Facebook, Instagram, all of them are going to be up in arms simply because if you say no to being tracked, well, that's no good. Everybody says, you know, I start talking about something. So me and you are talking about something. And then later on that night, I go onto my Facebook feed and there's an ad for it. Mm. You know, that's the whole thing that people can't get their head around. But what Apple are saying is, well, if you don't want any of this, We will allow you, because the whole thing about tracking, you would have to turn off location services on your phone. And then that meant that loads of things wouldn't work. The GPS, all the things wouldn't work. But with this, they're allowing you to kind of dig a little bit deeper in and say, well, okay, right, I don't want these companies to track me. If I open up a website here, I don't want it to track me. Simple as that. So it's giving you that opportunity. It puts the uh, decision back into your and my hands to decide if we want more privacy or if we we don't. And that has been a call for, yes, for a long, long time. Watch this space with that. Declan, brilliant as usual. Businesstechhelp.net. This man can help you with anything. He'll have your website up and running in jig time for you. And much more besides 0871236789. What a number, I always say it. Declan Bailey, thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks, Jerry. Take Bye-bye. care of yourself. Bye-bye. He's a great fella. He really is. And what a help he's been to so, so many people. And to us, we appreciate it here on Late Lunch. Short break. Stay with us. 
Up the yard with a smell of Benji. Do you remember that? Do you remember that saying? It was all the go at one stage. Ah, Tom Hickey, who played Benji in the Reardons, passed away at the weekend. He was synonymous with the role, but he was a wonderful, wonderful actor on screen or on stage as well. I had the pleasure of seeing him on a number of occasions in Irish plays here in Dublin. I'm sure I saw him in the Abbey at least twice. He was absolutely fantastic, but he'd be best remembered for Benji and the Reardons. Do you remember? No, Louise, you don't. You don't remember the Reardons. You couldn't. I don't, but I remember John Cowley. Yes. He was a neighbour of my mother's in our Was he? I think he's my auntie Doreen's godfather. Did he play Tom Reardon? Yes. Tom was married to Mary Reardon and then you had uh, Benji and Maggie. Maggie was the, okay. the love affair. And Batty and Minnie Brennan. Oh, did you? Minnie Brennan. Oh, jeez, what a gossip. <laughs> <laughs> what a gossip. Honest to God. But the reason I mentioned the Reardon's today, it was set in Leestown in Kilkenny, but it was filmed on a farm. You know this, near mm. Dunboyne in County Meath, the yeah. Reardon's was. And it went out on RTE from 1965 until 1979. Oh, wow. Every Sunday evening. And you couldn't speak when it was on in the house. Everybody, one TV, all gathered round it. You know what I mean? It was a real family. For soap as such for it was, it, Well, they, they had... Uh, Tolka Row was another one from years ago. I used to hear them talk about it as well. Never really watched it. But did you know the Reardons was the reason for Emmerdale? No way, yes, really? Yes, Emmerdale began and was based upon and con- in consultation about the Reardons. So there you are and Emmerdale still runs. But I, I don't think people understand how big the Reardons was on Sunday evening. Massive. Really? Massive. Oh, unmissable. Bigger than Glenrow. Oh, jeez, it was, it was the For biggest. Ireland at the time. Yeah, and then Glenrow came after it and uh, uh, other things. But the Reardons, uh, d- did you watch the Reardons? Anyone know what I'm talking about today? Maybe I'm here talking to myself or just to Louise. The Reardons, mm. do you remember the Reardons? Have you any memories of them at all? Was, Go on. It was like Dinny and Miley at Glenrow in the Reardons. No. No, it wasn't a follow-on from that no, at all. No, no. there was, oh, there was, there was a thing called Bracken. Ah, that's where it was. Bracken came next and then that uh, morphed into Glen Row at that stage. But the Reardons, mm. anyone remember the Reardons or anything about it? Let us know. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. Tom Hickey, he was great. You know, his presence on stage, his acting ability, you know, besides the Reardons, he was just something else, Louise. He really was. And I remember him today because he was a great, great actor and sad news reaching us that he passed away over the weekend but the Reardons <laughs> up the yard with a smell of Benji did you ever hear that no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was it I don't even know that was a real saying why did they say that no, they, oh, I don't know I think it was a put down on farmers or something oh, or, okay. you know that type of thing We wouldn't. I shouldn't be saying it today God, I could be in trouble here for saying it. But look, we're only having a bit of fun reminiscing. I don't mean it as a slur or disrespectful to anybody at all. People will remember or know probably what I'm what I'm talking about on the show. 86 1800 <laughs> It's the WhatsApp or text number. 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. The Reardon's. Those were the days. Single TV, all gathered around it. No devices like we were talking about a minute ago or vices. No remote controls. Not at all. You had to go up and press the button. <laughs> Today, <laughs> Today they wouldn't get off the chair. Have you moved that? What are you doing with that remote? I know the story. I'm like it myself now. I've, I've uh, developed into a remote control uh, addict as well. Anyway, late lunch, LMFM Radio. Coming up shortly on the show, Emma Hetherington is joining us. She has a book uh, called The Promise and it's been received with huge acclaim. I'm looking forward to chatting to her uh, in a few moments' time. But taking us towards our next break on late lunch today, I just want to play this one because I heard it and I brought it back to 
me and it's simply lovely. It's Linda Ronstad. Have a listen. Isn't it absolutely beautiful? Blue Bayou. Roy Orbison, originally 1963. Linda Ronstad, 1977. Her signature tune. Absolutely gorgeous. Coming up next on the show, The Promise is the name of the book. Author Emma Hetherington is with us. Yes, Jean was on to say that she registered for the vaccine on the 19th of April. She followed up with a couple of calls. She is registered. All is OK. She'll be called in time. She just wanted to reassure those listeners who were on earlier, worried that they'd been lost in the system. Nigel, our man Nigel in New York, he sent me a lovely picture of his air tag. He has an air tag. We were talking to uh, Declan Bailey about a few moments ago. Tommy's been on to say he often passed the farm in Dunboyne where the Reardons was actually filmed. And Patricia's listening in Blanchard's town today said she worked at the country club in Dunchockland. She met all the cast knew them and served them food there and they were lovely. Thanks indeed for all your messages to the show. Keep them coming to us. 086-1800-658 WhatsApp or text me to the show. Now my next guest, well when you look at the uh, list of books that she's produced. It's phenomenal. Some of the recent ones are Part of Me and You, A Miracle and Hope Street, Rewrite the Stars and Secrets in the Snow and the new one is called The Promise. And let me tell you, it's been so well received. Just one comment about it, the most emotional and uplifting book you'll read in 2021. It'll break your heart. Well, will it break your heart? Emma Hetherington, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thanks for joining me. You must be delighted with the reception for the new one. Yes, yeah, so far so good. Yeah, I think um, this book is really touching a lot of hearts across Ireland, which is exactly what I set out to do. It's a very, very poignant story uh, told um, throughout 20 years of a couple's life. And uh, so far, everyone is meshing me and saying that they're crying at one chapter and laughing at the next one. But most of all, really cheering the two characters, David and Kate, on and hoping that they're going to have their happy ever after. Now, you know, when you set out in this book, I know it myself, you think you're going to read a typical boy meets girl love story. Nothing could be further from the truth. No, it's um, I've really uh, had to dig deep for this one, you know, and I say it does touch a lot of emotion. Um, it's set uh, in, in 1998, the story begins and... Um, it starts uh, around the time of the Oma bomb, which I'm sure most of listeners will remember exactly where they were when they heard that tragic news. And our two young characters, David and Kate, are from two very opposite ends of society. Um, David is, uh, is brought, has been brought up uh, in a very staunch uh, Protestant household, whereas Kate couldn't be more different. She comes from a very um, strong uh, Republican family uh, in Tyrone. And both of them are plunged together on this most darkest of days but when it comes to them meeting there's nothing else matters only helping each other and the two young people don't know anything about each other's backgrounds they don't know anything they've never seen each other before and all they can see is kindness and humanity and they form a bond that day that is going to carry them on for the next 20 years no matter what society decides uh, they should or shouldn't be doing they have a love for each other that just will, will never be broken is it, you know, still a factor? You live, of course, in Tyrone yourself there and love the place. Is it still a factor today, you know, in the context of a Protestant Catholic relationship? Or is that 
slowly or maybe more rapidly in recent years just faded away? I think it depends, I suppose, where about you come from, uh, Jerry. You know, I come from a very rural village in Tyrone. And um, thankfully, you know, while we while our communities are still quite segregated in many ways, um, particularly through education and even sport, you know, can can put a label on someone. Uh, I think our younger generations, you know, I, I'm the, I'm, I've got four young adults at home and um, I don't think they look at each other uh, at all in that way, um, or maybe certainly not in the way that it was whenever I was growing up. So I think it is softening. But then if you go into maybe some of the cities and some, you know, a, of other towns and villages, maybe it's different. I can only speak from, from my own perspective. And thankfully, a, you know, it does seem to be heading in a different direction, be it slowly. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because that would be my perception as well. And the flashpoints in the cities and where there's still massive segregation, you know, this is a, a, a different story altogether. But there has been progress and it's it's very important to acknowledge that. Just back to the book, and I don't want to give away because people should just get this book and enjoy it for what it is. And you will enjoy it. The You know, they meet in... in horrific circumstances and they have this thing between them but they do go their separate ways for many years and yet you bring them back you bring them back in close proximity yes um so their lives do take different paths but the whole essence of this of the book i have to say for your listeners is very much a love story you know that a that opening scene where they meet um, does provide a backdrop to their own backgrounds, but it doesn't um, really form the rest of the story in that it's more about those two people and how their lives keep crossing and how no matter, um, you know, geographically how far they become apart. For example, David goes to move, he moves to England initially and Kate moves to Dublin and they, be- they pick up their lives and they begin new lives. But um, every time they try to say goodbye to each other, they just can't do it. And they've always, no matter who else is in their lives, they've always got this magnificent uh, pull towards each other. And um, we follow their love story as it goes on and takes all shapes um, and forms, ups and downs. And um, what the, the response I've been getting from readers is that they love both of these characters equally. And they want the best for both of them equally. And that's a great compliment to me because I, I love that, that the reader loves them and they really want them to be together. So that, that's a huge, huge thing to have mm. to create a male and a female character that, that are both equally, you know, likable um, and that they're really, really cheering them on. Yeah, and it's like as if they're walking into a storm all of the time. That force 10 wind, the rain lashing at them, but they keep going. Just to use an analogy of uh, uh, of what their relationship is, is like, you got to get this and read it and you will do what many reviewers are saying. You'll be just enthralled by the book. You mentioned something there a moment ago. You have a very full household with teens and younger <laughs> one as well. How do you get time to write? Well, th- uh, you know... This is my job now, Jerry. So I manage to do it during the day, mainly when the house is quiet, when they're all out of my way. But of course, the past year has proven to be, um, you know, totally different circumstances when the schools and universities were all closed and the teenagers were all home and the, the wee man he was running around looking entertained. So it definitely was a different time to be writing a book. So I wrote this book last summer, um, when the house was very, very busy and. Like I said, we, we have four grown-up children and then we've one with six-year-olds. So the house is always coming and going. Uh, 
there's a lot of noise and, and I don't have the privilege of shutting myself away off in a room because it just and I can never do that. So I just have to learn to write amongst it. So if the TV's blurring or there's music going on or uh, different conversations, I, I've, I've trained my brain to just kind of switch off and go into the world that I need to and then stop and make the dinner and then pick it up again. (laughs) (laughs) You need to bottle that and sell it, Emma. (laughs) And I can tell you what, there are so many people would love to have that ability (laughs) that you have. But in a way, you have always been like a a solitary, you know, you've worked solitary uh, on all of the books and much more you've been involved in as well. The, the lockdown, you know, when you're used to that, was the lockdown still difficult? Well, do you know what? I've been, you know, I'm on different social medias, obviously, and I'll be following other writers' stories. And, and I have noticed how a lot of writers find it very difficult during lockdown to become creative. You know, they just find mm. that all that, uh, all those juices stopped flowing. They weren't being inspired enough. They, they weren't going out enough to see the outside world. Um I find it the opposite, actually. You know, a because I am quite solitary and 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 I'm used to that. But also, I don't know why, but I I actually find it just business as usual, which was great. You know, and I think it's because I am used to the house being hectic, and I'm not used to that silence or waiting for that silence because that was the case. I'd never get a word written, um. So I just have to muck on in, you know, and keep keep going. And um, say I wrote this this story last year and. It's my way. I think it kind of kept me sane in a way. It was a form of escapism for me, you know, when the world was such a dark place uh, with the whole COVID crisis that this was something I could, um, I suppose, nearly switch off and go into a completely Mm. different world and drift away and use my imagination. So um, it was something I looked forward to every day and and, uh, I certainly enjoyed every moment of it, uh, lockdown or no lockdown, yes. thank goodness. It certainly fired your creativity. Look, while you're on to me, I have to ask you this. You know, we have a huge listenership here who love the country music. And you <laughs> you were involved with the, the legend that is Philomena Begley and Nathan Carter, uh, their autobiographies. What was that like? You know, I've often meant to ask ghostwriters this when you're working with those people like that. And, you know, they're telling their story to you. How much do you guide them, really? Or or do you just work on the basis of doing all they ask of you? Well, I think it's a very different approach than to writing a novel because you're not making it up as you go along. Mm. You know, you're following a framework of someone's life. So the way I approached it was I, I kind of did like a chronological, if you like, skeletal timeline of their lives, of what I already knew about them and what I could find out online. And then when it was time for me to meet up with each of them, that was like the bones of the of the story. But then we needed, you know, obviously you need drama, you need excitement, you need ups and downs. And that's where they filled in the gaps by telling me some of the highlights of their life, some of the challenges that they've come across and um, some of the interesting people that they've met along the way. Um, and that's what made the book come to life, uh, both books. But it was an absolute joy and a pleasure. And Philomena is a great, great friend of mine. She's from my parish. Um, it was an honour to work with her and to see her in action I suppose by travelling around with her and seeing how everyone reacts to her like she really she's not called the queen for nothing put it like that she is a, a superstar in every certain uh, in every way you can imagine you know she just lights up a room and I can tell you Nathan Carter is exactly the same you know he, he's he's extremely talented extremely hard working great great crack and he just has such a fantastic way with his fans they absolutely adore him and I uh, by working so closely with him you know I can certainly see why 
Oh, yes, I had the uh, pleasure of uh, interviewing Philomena in my time here as well. And she's a lovely lady and she's as calm, honestly. And her, her way of going on is just so easy and laid back. But yet, as you say, she is the queen. She is the definitive when it comes to uh, country music. Well, I'll tell you, your juices flowed for sure with this one. Lockdown <laughs> or no lockdown, may I say. It's a fantastic book. It's called The Promise by Emma Hetherington and it's available all over the place at the minute and it does what it says on the tin. Look, keep on doing what you're doing. You're great and thank you for taking time to join me on the show today. Thanks, Amaya. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you, Jerry. Take care, Emma. Bye-bye. That's Emma Hetherington. And The Promise is the name of the book. Would you like my book? Would you like my copy? I'm generous. I'm in generous mood today. After that bad day yesterday, you'd need something to pick you up, wouldn't you? And the chilly weather that lies ahead. You can have this book, The Promise. Here's the question. What is the name of the county town of Tyrone? What's the name of the county town of Tyrone? She's from Tyrone, Emma. What is its name? Answers, please, with your details to 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now. We'll pick somebody before the end of the show. Ah, it's great to hear from so many people who remember the Reardon's. Pat's been on from Delete to say, yes, I remember the programme where I loved it, Jerry, and I was in the place too where it was made in Dunboyne. James says the same. He paid a visit to the place. Uh, he said many people went there just to see uh, where they shot the uh, programme for uh, Sunday evenings. Another one there coming to me from uh, Ray at the moment. He says, I was only a nipper, uh, but I remember my dad who passed uh, a year ago on Thursday. Ah, oh, sorry to hear that Ray a year gone by they fly by don't they a story from the show he used to tell me Tom and Benji were lifting something and they were struggling to, to get it out from where it was and Tom said twist it twist it and Benji says twist me up <laughs> you know what I mean you can spell it yourself <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, it was a it was a real uh, show of the people. That's for sure. They used the everyday language of <laughs> of the man and woman on the street. Louise, did you notice the snow the weekend? Did you notice the snow on the ground? The snow? Yeah, no, all over the place. Did anyone out there notice snow on the ground? It was so it, it was pinky coloured <laughs> and it was whitey coloured. That's candy floss. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not candy. It's what you would call a blossom. We were talking about the cherry blossoms, weren't we, last week or the week before? And once that big wind came, it's everywhere. It's like snow on the ground. You know what I mean? I've been facetious. It's pink, pink snow. But I noticed there's trees where we live and it's just everywhere. And that's, you know, the seasons turning again as things move along. But once you get the big storm, it batters the uh, old cherry blossom trees so that's them sort of gone for another year it's cold isn't it isn't the weather it's cold it's freezing it is it's ridiculous it's very unseasonal I have to say the cold over the coming week there's no real pick up in the temperatures at all there really it isn't it gives even colder as we go through the week isn't it to the yeah, weekend yeah into the weekend at least and change but I bet they dip the oil oh do you know do you know if you're ever we have a cot with that <laughs> the cold weather come in oh, and the oil weather, runs yeah. out we have a cot like that we no. have a cart with no, no. oil. <gasps> Thankfully. It's the worst thing. Oh, my life wouldn't be worth living if that went. Oh, sure, don't you have to light the fire brand? Let the It'd be frosty enough inside. <laughs> inside and out it would become frosty. That is for sure. Late lunch, LMFM radio. Still to come on the show. My artist of the week. I'm going back a little bit. I am. She's 88 years young. Oh, and she's still performing and would have been, uh, but for the pandemic as well. She's brilliant. Uh, I won't give you any more clues. She's English stroke Welsh, was a big hit on the continent, had loads of hits in her day. You have to stay with us to find out who she is. And I'll also be joined on the show in a week.
wee while by Tracy Doherty from the HSE. Tomorrow is World Hand Hygiene Day. Don't talk to us about hygiene. We know all we, about yeah. it at this stage, don't it we? It should be perfect. Oh, listen, we should be at this stage. But uh, Tracy wants to give it a shout out and talk to us about hygiene and the continuing importance of hand hygiene in the whole area of infection and not spreading infection. That's coming up on your late lunch after three o'clock today. But we did mention, didn't we, with Emma Hetherington, Mm -hmm. a fella called... Nathan Carter. Did you ever hear him? Louise said to me, you're not going to play him again. Again. <laughs> I am. Let him go there. It's Mr. Nathan Carter and Wagon Wheel. Come on. Let's have an old dance that this Tuesday standard. afternoon. That's a great song, yeah. isn't it? It's a standard. You can play it all day, every day. You might get fed up. You might get fat. <laughs> <laughs> we would. We would. Book winner today on Late Lunch, Jill Campbell. Well done to you. The county town of Tyrone is Oma. I have a copy of The Promise on its way to you. Thanks to everybody who was in touch by text or WhatsApp. Now my artist of the week, Sally Alwyn Clark, better known as Petula, was born on November 15th, 1932. She'll be 89 next birthday and was working away on the West End in London in Mary Poppins' The Musical until the pandemic closed down the world of entertainment in the spring of 2020. Clark was a child prodigy, performing in public from an early age, making a radio debut on the BBC at nine. She was on the stage at 11, the West End theatre and movie star in her early teens before launching her TV career. No surprise, she was known as the British Shirley Temple. However, it was her voice and singing prowess that really propelled Petula into the spotlight with a string of hits like The Little Shoemaker, With All of My Heart and Mallorca, all scoring for her in the charts back in the 50s. She became very popular in Europe too and spent a lot of time performing there. But it was to be her long association with Pie Records and, of course, the brilliant writer Tony Hatch that would bring her a string of big, big hits into the 60s. And today... We play one of the most familiar Petula Clark songs of all time. Yes, we'll be there shortly. We're lifting the restrictions. We'll be downtown. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. Petula Clark, my artist of the week on Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Ah, Timeless, timeless, absolutely timeless. Number one in the USA. It only made two in the UK at the time. But what a song it was and always will be. Ivor Novello, Song of the Year back in 64 and Grammy Award winner two in 65. Petula Clark, her story continues in words and song tomorrow on Late Lunch. Up next, we're talking all about World Hand Hygiene Day. Hand hygiene, it has to be imprinted on all of our brains at this stage after the last year. And did you know that tomorrow is World Hand Hygiene Day? And I'm joined on late lunch now by a lady that has to have been so busy this last 12 months or more. She's the Assistant Director of Nursing with Special Responsibility for Infection, Prevention and Control at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. I'm delighted to say hello to Tracy Doherty. Hello, Tracy. Hello, Jerry. How are you this afternoon? I'm really, really good. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Have you been run off your feet? I suppose that's a no-brainer question, is it? 
I think the whole country has had to adapt in various different ways, no more than ourselves in here in Our Lady of Lords in Louth County. Um, but there's been a great team effort shown across various disciplines. So um, we, we learned a lot. We've come a long way and um, definitely there's been some a lot of positives come out of what was a very difficult and scary time for all of us. Has the message got across, Tracy, about the significance of washing our hands and cleanliness in general? Do you think that after the year, or is there a danger that we'll feel as the vaccinations ramp up and we move away from this awful time that, you know, we'll say, oh, that was for then? Well, I certainly think the awareness, like hand hygiene is nothing new and it's certainly not a new concept to any of us here in mm. um, Our Lady of Lords or Louth County. Um, and we're always looking at different ways to try and promote it. But I suppose the awareness of how important it is has certainly been raised over the last year. But now it's so important to ensure that people, um, it becomes a habit and it just becomes part of everything you do, like what you do when you're brushing your teeth in the morning. So World Hand Hygiene Day is tomorrow and um, the 5th of May every year since the 2009 has been World Hand Hygiene Day and recent research from the Department of Health has shown that uh, hand washing is up about 96% in the community but as I say as you said quite rightly said you know will complacency go on the importance of hand hygiene when the vaccination levels increase but I suppose what I want to try and raise with you today or I suppose to highlight to your listeners is the importance of hand hygiene not just for COVID-19 Hand hygiene like is the cornerstone of infection prevention and control. And it certainly keeps a lot of infections at bay. Obviously, the topical one is COVID-19. And please, God, we will have this under control very soon. But there is a lot of other infections out there. And that's part of what we're doing tomorrow. We want to launch what we call um, the Resist campaign. And that's part of a national campaign and program. And that's looking at re- um, trying to reduce antimicrobial resistance and healthcare associated infections. And some of the key things to do to do for both of those programs is hand hygiene. So I suppose if we start with hand hygiene, Jerry, um, I suppose some key messages I wanted to get out there to the public um, about hand hygiene, because normally we would have promotional stands within the hospital yes. um, and maybe even local shopping centres, but obviously we can't do that this year. Um, I want to make sure that everyone knows it's important not to put the gel or the foams that you see now in public areas onto dirty hands. Your hands have to be visibly clean before you use these products. I want to highlight to your listeners that gloves certainly do not replace hand hygiene. They are not a replacement and you also shouldn't put gel or any of those foams on your gloves. I also want to let your listeners know that it's very important you have enough product on your hands. So enough of the gel or the foam on your hands. What I see myself when I'm out in the community is people might just take one little squirt or two little squirts. That's not going to cover your entire hand. And that's just like wiping um, just dry hands with no product. And you're certainly not going to get any effect from that. Also want to highlight the importance of using moisturizers on your hands because we're all using a lot more gels now than we've ever done before. And we will be for a long time yet. And um, obviously as an infection prevention and control nurse, it's something I hope we never move away from. But it's important that people look after their hands and care for their hands because these products can dry out your hands. And then last but by no means least, and is this isn't in any particular order, is I want to remind those of you that are out there that when you are patients or you are using our service to remind us and ask us is our hands clean because we can certainly help you but you need to help us as well and we're not robots and we do make mistakes sometimes and we certainly do forget but there is no reason why our patients can't ask us are our hands clean i'm just the campaign tomorrow is 
Sorry? I'm just cleaning my hands here as I'm speaking to you. I've just put a load of gel in my hands. I'd washed them just a short while ago. And when I'm listening to you there talking to me, so plenty of gel on the hands and right through the fingers and up to the to the wrists, etc. Yeah, we would say there's seven steps, Jerry, And as the most important is to wet the hands first, whether that's actually at the hand hygiene sink or whether you're yeah. using the gel. Now, it's very important. Everyone's very good at rubbing their palms together. And then a lot of people will put one palm, you have to rub the back of your palms and a lot of people put one palm over the other, but they forget to come back over the second one. And that's usually the dominant hand. So if you're right-handed, if you're listening to me now, just automatically see what way you wash your hands and rub your hands together. We're all very good at that. If you're right-handed, most people will put the right hand over the left hand, but then they forget to bring the left hand back over the right hand. Mm. And that is your dominant hand that potentially has been touching most um, things in the community or in wherever you've been in the shopping center. Then we would ask you to interlock your fingers together, Mm. cup your fingers you have to clean your thumbs. You have to single them out. It's very impossible. It's very difficult to actually clean them unless you single them out um, individually. And then we would ask you to rub your palms over your, um, with your fingers. So we kind of say there's seven steps. We don't particularly say they're in any particular order because yeah. everybody should just develop their own way of doing it. And as I said, it becomes a habit and part of your routine. Yeah. Now, the gloves, come back to the gloves. I'm curious about this, the correct use of gloves. Before you use them, are you saying you should wash your hands thoroughly, even put a gel on them wherever before you actually put the gloves on? Yes, I am, Jerry. What actually happens is people like gloves are personal protective equipment. They're PPE. So they are personal to you and they will protect you to some level of, uh, you know, to a point. But usually we would advise gloves when you're dealing with blood or bodily fluids. And I suppose when people put gloves on, they should they should wash their hands, they should have clean hands before they put the gloves on. And then people put the gloves on and then when they take them off, they think, sure, my hands were clean going in there. My hands are going to be clean coming out there. It's impossible, absolutely impossible to take a pair of gloves off without um, actually contaminating your hands. So it's really, really important when you take those gloves off to gel your hands again. Now, I have seen myself um, out in the community, some people actually putting gel onto gloves and that is, that's just an absolute no-no because you're not helping yourself or anybody else and you're actually then going to be using wet kind of gloves touching other things which could affect the environmental contamination that's out there so gloves they do have a place but they only have a place really if you're dealing with blood or bodily fluids i wouldn't say you need them for your routine shopping at the the weekends or yeah and and this just before because time will beat us in a moment just before we go national resist campaign is that aimed within the walls of our lady of lourdes and loud county or for everybody well, the Resist campaign is a national campaign and uh, we're launching it tomorrow. There's been okay. a delay in the launch because of obviously COVID, but um, there's, it's two parts to it, antimicrobial resistance. And really what that means, Jerry, is that there's some bugs out there now that no longer respond to commonly used antibiotics mm. and there's less antibiotics in development now. So basically, in a nutshell, we're running out of antibiotics to treat some commonly common infections that we have. And that's a global problem and it's going to affect everybody going forward. And the second part of that program is um, healthcare associated infections. Some people call them healthcare acquired infections and they're infections that people acquire through the course of their healthcare. Now, some of them are not preventable, but certainly some of them are. And while hand hygiene is a key part of that, and that's why we've decided to launch the campaign tomorrow, I suppose what I would say to two kind of very quick things with antimicrobial resistance, we would ask people 
only to use antibiotics when they're required. Okay, and if you are prescribed your antibiotics to actually make sure you finish the course. So I know some people go to the GP and if they don't get prescribed an antibiotic, they feel a little bit hard done by, oh, such a GP will always tell you it's viral, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really important to only take antibiotics if indicated by a healthcare professional. And if you are asked to take them to complete the course, even if you feel well. And then with healthcare associated infections, I suppose the key point that I would like to get across to your listeners today is if you are a patient and in the healthcare setting and you've got any lines or urine bags or anything, it's really important that you don't play with them, you don't touch with them because your hands could be contaminated from the environment and then you could... Um, you know, pathogens could get into your um, into your system that way because yeah. your skin is your greatest form of defense. But unfortunately, you know, we would have to break that sometimes by putting lines in for drips, etc. Yes. So while it's an essential part of healthcare, there's also some things as patients we can ask you to do to try and prevent healthcare association infections. Fantastic advice there. You're you're wonderful and uh, lots to ponder there this afternoon on late lunch. More information where if you want to go online. There's a brilliant Irish website, hpsc.ie. That's the Health Protection Surveillance Centre.ie. And they do an A to Z section and you can look up absolutely anything on any infection or any bug that's out there. And also we have the HSC website. And there's a group called AMRIC and they're doing a lot of work. They're behind this resist campaign and you can access their work through the HSC website as well. Lovely, terrific. Tracy Doherty, Infection Prevention and Control at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital Assistant. Director of Nursing. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Jerry, and thank you for the opportunity to highlight our campaign. You're very welcome. Take care of yourself. Brilliant. Thanks indeed, Tracy, for that. That's a lot on late lunch today. Tomorrow, Heather Burke will be with us. The art of conversation. Is it dying because of all the newfangled technology? Heather wants to bring it back big time and ensure that it continues for generations to come. And Aileen Carvel is with us. Technology meets fashion with skimp. Eddie Caffrey's raring to go with the drive. Great music and more besides over the next couple of hours. We'll see you tomorrow for Wednesday's Late Lunch, 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda Dundalk and Cavan. Attention all van drivers. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the northeast. Our van specialist, Danny at Blackstone Motors, will find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. We offer same-day business finance. Call Danny or visit blackstonemotors.ie for more information. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.